Blog Talk Radio. Carol the Coach. Sex, love, and relationships. We talk about it here. Carol the Coach. Compassion with contemporary relevance. I am a psychotherapist. I can be your personal life coach and I can help you with your issues. There are no problems too small or too big. You can talk about anything. Speaker, columnist, radio TV host, and commentator. Carol the Coach brings messages of wellness and empowerment within reach of everyday people every day. Almost five years ago, I lost my soulmate in an accident. He was killed in a plane crash. Life just for me has seemed to stop. There are groups all over the city. I mean, I teach one. It is a specific way to start thinking so that you shift how you see the world, which then shifts your energy, and then you feel better and you actually see things differently. Carol the Coach, always available to at carolthecoach.com. Now I've got Russell on the line. I'm 47 years old. I'm a truck driver. I am married. I have a wife in San Francisco. Okay. I haven't been home in six months. My thing is, I, I don't know if I have a sex addiction or what the problem is. Why do I want what I can't have? And as soon as I can have it, I don't want it anymore. You're right on target when you say, I don't know if I have a sexual addiction. Well, guess what? Yes, you do. And you know what? That's my specialty, Russell. So you're at the right place. Continue. I meet women online and, and I'm in a different part of the country. I, I travel all 48 states, so I love sex. I hear self-esteem issues. You never felt good enough and you didn't feel like you were getting what you should have then. And you're really enacting that now. Do you want to change that about yourself? I got an interesting email. When you make a difference, we are so glad to be talking to you. This is Carol the Coach, Sex Help with Carol the Coach, and we are really happy to be talking with Christian counselor Reese Crane. He's a Christian counselor who started the silent addiction to help people combat the effects of pornography on our society. And he knows from personal experience exactly how it works. So I want to say to Reese, because I really believe it's important for people to tell their own story so that they can help others, Reese Crane, welcome to Sex Help with Carol the Coach. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. You know, your story is such a good story. And it's motivational and inspirational. So I was wondering if you could share a little bit about how you got involved pastoring um, about pornography. Well, yeah, I mean, the two sadly mixed together. Um, You know, I found pornography in the way that most kids find it around age 11, you know, with some friends. And I got involved with that. And, of course, it, it quickly became you know, a coping mechanism for me. I was heavily bullied as a child and uh, had a lot of kind of childhood emotional neglect. Um, you know, now that I look back, I know that I can kind of call it that. But, um, uh, you know, that was kind of my coping mechanism. I, I learned that uh, pornography could take me places. And uh, even at 11 and 12, kind of in a prepubescent state, you know, I kind of hurried that along. 
And uh, that became my go-to to try and uh, relieve myself of all my problems. Um, it just was one of those things that you didn't really think about too much when you were a kid. You just thought, you know, this feels good and I'm just going to run with it. And suddenly I, you know, I, I was brought up in a Christian home. And um, so there was something about it that I felt was not right and, and began to uh, grow up and learn a little bit more about sexuality from a Christian perspective and realize that what I was doing um, wasn't really helpful for, for what I believed, um, but it already had a hold on me. And then uh, a little bit later in life, in my, um, my mid-20s, I began to take over uh, the pastoral position at our church, which was a worship leader position. Um, essentially, most churches would call it a director of music, but in this particular church, it was called worship leader. So I would do you know, a mix of hymns as well as contemporary music in our church services um, while I was still um, you know, utilizing porn. I just could not break free of it. And, of course, um, my dating relationships along the way had been very physical and very sexually uh, active, and it was something that I really needed because I just didn't have the connection in my life when I was a kid. Um, and uh, and so uh, the longer it went, um, I got into my 30s and finally got married um, and had, uh, had a, a little baby girl uh, back around 2000. And then I started to really fall apart kind of at the end of 2000 and going into 2001, uh, a number of just emotional issues in my life kind of came calling. And um, it was just really a really, really horrible time. There was just a lot of emotional breakdown that was going on. And, uh, I, I, you know, I ended up, you know, obviously turning to porn and masturbation or sexuality in some way, shape, or form. And I ended up uh, having an affair. Uh, while I was uh, a pastoral leader at this really large church uh, up here in the Pennsylvania area. And, um, you know, and then it was, you know, it was like one of those things. What have I got myself into? I, I can't turn the ship around. This just, this, this isn't working. And, um, and I thought I could beat it. I thought, oh, this, you know, this is just stupid. I just need to stop doing this. And tried to go home and salvage my marriage, ended up conceiving another child, you know, out of that season and it was almost as if uh, the damage had already been done to my heart, to my soul. And uh, I ended up not being able to reconnect with my wife and ended up getting divorced. And so within the short span of a few months, I lost my marriage. Um, I lost my, my family. Um, and I lost my ministry. And that was all around 2001, uh, 2000, 2001. Um, and, and you would think that I would have hit rock bottom. Um, at that point and kind of wised up and gotten the help that I need, but I, I didn't really look at my, my sexual problems as an addiction. I didn't look at porn as an addiction. It was just kind of a struggle. So if you call it something less than it is, you're not going to meet it head on with the help that you really need, and that is dealing with it uh, from an addictive concept. And so um, it took another 11 years, Carol, until I was able to really stop my porn addiction. I'd spent the, the, the next few years after my divorce just really wallowing in self-pity and, and self-deprecation, um, trying to figure out what it is I wanted to do with my life. Uh, I ended up uh, eventually kind of getting regrounded from a spiritual perspective um, through some connections that I had made and, um, and, and started to really find myself again kind of in a new way. I, I started to look at my Christian faith as something 
a lot more than what I had looked at it before because in the past it was just very nominal. And then I started to recognize that that God really did want to have a relationship with me, that it wasn't just this, yeah, God loves everybody, but me, he doesn't really have time for, um, which is still a very, very selfish way of looking at life, um, thinking that for some reason you're the only person on the planet that God doesn't love. And and I just began to develop this whole new concept of my faith, a new relationship with God, and really got into the scriptures and, and really started to open my heart up again um, to be able to really believe that I was loved by God and that God did have a plan for my life. And it, it wasn't just to, um, you know, live each day and try and minister and, and try and do and do and do and do and do. Uh, I was able to just learn what it meant to be a child of the Father and to be, and, and that was okay. And that opened up a whole new world for me. And on, on that one day, I had a fateful, that one fateful day in 2011 where I just dropped to my knees and I said, I'm done. I'm done with this. It has hurt too many people. I mean, the ripple effect was absolutely crazy. I'd hurt so many people in the ministry. I'd hurt so many people in my family, extended family, basically threw everything away um, because that's just what everything felt like to me. It felt like I could just throw it away and it wasn't a big deal. And, you know, I look back on my life and I just recognize how much pain I brought so many people, how much destruction I really brought upon myself just because I just chased porn and just wanted it as my coping mechanism, wanted it to be to help me get through the day and just be able to function. And you look back and and literally, Carol, for 35 years, from age 11 to age 46, I was enslaved to porn and sex addiction. 35 years of my life. I mean, that is over half my life that was given to that destructive process. And now I am so, so grateful to be free and able to reach into the pit and help other people out. Well, and you know, one of the things that I believe is you have to almost always get to that rock bottom place. I mean, you said you were on your knees and people have to know that what they're doing is a deal-breaking situation. And I was talking with my group tonight, and a lot of them said it was my wife that helped me to know that because what I saw in her was such excruciating pain, I could no longer hide from my own. Now, was your wife involved in any of this? Did she know ahead of time? Um, No. I mean, you know, we've talked since we've been divorced, and um and and she you know she didn't really realize that there was an issue there was a symptom i left um a couple of pornographic uh, dvds um behind at my house i was watching them on the computer in my basement and um when when we essentially decided that we just needed to separate and that if it was going to work out whatever um but if not i needed to just leave the house and that's just kind of how we left it but I left the two DVDs down in the basement and when she went down to use the computer, she saw them sitting there on the desk. And, and so even though she wasn't really privy to my, my, my pornographic addiction, uh, sex addiction, you know, there were telltale signs along the way. She felt very objectified in our relationship because I was pretty much demanding that she, you know, do the things for me sexually that I saw in the in in the pornographic videos right so um 
but there was never this there was never this moment where she walked in and caught me doing it right or or you know noticed anything it just happened to be that when we finally decided that we really weren't going to stay together um and I left the house that was the only telltale sign were these two DVDs when I got remarried in in 2005 um and it was to the lady with with whom I had had the affair and we both gone through a number of years together in a real spiritual desert and real spiritual seeking time. Um, finally, we were getting our lives back together again, but I still hadn't stopped the pornography and it was going to be another, well, six years from the time that we actually got married until I would actually stop. And, and she knew and she felt the objectification coming from me as well. But again, I hit it really well. And, um, and even when little pop-up things would come up on the computer, um, I would act so disgusted and so angry and I'm like, who's been watching porn on here? You know, I would try to deflect and 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 make sure that I wasn't uh, seen as the one to blame for that. So, uh, you know, a lot of people that do come to me for counseling because of their porn addiction, you know, they have actually had that discovery. Their wife discovered them or in some way, shape or form, but it, it had been disclosed to them because something wasn't feeling right and they had to deal with it. Um, throughout my first marriage and my current marriage, I really never had to deal with that because I kept it hidden so well. Okay. Well, that makes sense. So, boy, you had a lot of casualties out of this, didn't you? I mean, your church, oh. your wife, it was horrible. Yeah, my, you know, my wife's, my, my, my then in-laws, uh, you know, who were hurting for, for both of us and, you know, her, her sister and her family. Um, you know, they, they pretty much have to trudge through the destruction that I, that I gave to them. I'm like, you know, it's kind of like, here's a bomb. It's about ready to go off. Um, I'll talk to you later. You know, that that's kind of what it was like. And then on, on my end, you know, my, my parents were, were really hurt by that and, and really didn't want to see us separate, but then it, it happened. Uh, you know, my family had engrafted in with their family so well, they were great friends you know, in-laws and in-laws, and then there it was that they didn't have that anymore. And, uh, you know, it really hurt them, really hurt my sister and, and my brother-in-law and, you know, that side of the family, and they just didn't know what to do. They didn't know how to handle it. Um, and, and so, yeah, and then all of the ministry friends, all the people. But you know what, Carol, here, here's the funny thing about all this, is that ever since I was a kid, I never could just receive love. You know, I was bullied so heavily in school. I lived in so much fear walking to, to and from school every day. And, and, and most of the bullies that bullied me at school actually lived on my block. And, and I was always afraid to go outside. And I just kind of hardened my heart over the years. And there was so much, and, and I just really, I couldn't receive love from the people at the church who I worked with on a regular basis, who I prayed with on a regular basis, who I served with on a regular basis. And then I couldn't really accept and feel the love of, you know, my first wife and, and even my second wife as it was going along, I was still struggling, but really trying to find that place of being able to trust again. And, and over three decades of wanting to be able to really trust and love somebody and feel that love in return. And I didn't even have that in my faith. I didn't even have that with, with God who I, I know wanted to love me, but my, my heart was so hard. Uh, at a very young age. And, and so for me to make this choice and do what I was doing, it was just the next natural thing that I needed to feel some type of fulfillment in my life. And, and so, yeah, I mean, when I look back on it now, I don't even, I didn't even care 
about the ripple effect. I mean, I was really, I was really afraid of, of, of the consequences of some of my decisions, but at the same time, I wasn't even looking at the fact that anybody was going to feel so hurt, so offended, um, just kind of lost because of it all. It was just me trying to find fulfillment. And, and so I look back now and, and you see all the people that were just laying there dying in the wake of all my decisions. It was horrible. And, and just a few months ago, Carol, literally, and this is like 17 years after this whole break had happened with my first wife. I, we, you know, we had had some, you know, you always, because of the kids are involved, you always are going to get together with the family members and stuff like this. But I had never sat down with my former in-laws and just simply apologized to them and, and let them know how much I was sorry that I had hurt them in the way that I had. And so um, somewhere around, I don't know, late fall of last year, heading into the holiday season, I just knew, I just knew so deep in my heart that I had to go do that because it almost, almost had been 20 years and I hadn't come to the place where I just brought some closure to their life. And when I went to apologize to them, I mean, there were so much tears there was so much forgiveness. Um, there was so much love. And, you know, and they just had finally had the opportunity to kind of let that go and bring closure to their life. And uh, it was such a beautiful experience. But, yeah, there was, there was a lot of people, a lot of people hurt by that one choice of mine. Well, and I have to say, obviously, you went through your own personal transformation for you to get to the point where you could do an amends or apologize and whatever. Um, but at this point, you had found some purpose in your life with the silent addiction, right? Talk a little bit about yeah, around, that. Sure. Um, yeah, well, around 2011 is when I basically had, had stopped doing everything that I did. And you know, I really felt that I had had kind of an aha moment, a divine, uh, you know, divine reckoning, if you will. And, of course, um, right away, you know, it didn't happen right away, but um, I was actually helping at that moment in time. And this was one of those reasons that this, um, I was able to, to stop the pornography because we were starting a church. Um, we were helping to start a church. That was really something that had had been such a longing in my heart to have this church the the way that we were starting this thing, and it was kind of based you know for those who are faith based listening to this um, it was based out of the book of Acts, and it was a real return to just relationships, serving your community and all that kind of stuff and that just really burned in my heart because I love to serve people and I love to help people and um and so we were starting this thing and uh it, it actually came to fruition just a few months after I had stopped watching porn, stopped using uh, pornography and was getting a little bit of healing. And I, I didn't really know how to do that. I just had to take it day by day to find the healing because I didn't realize there was any, you know, these things called SA groups, you know, um, or SAA groups, you know, sex addicts anonymous or sexaholics anonymous. I didn't, I didn't know those, those groups existed in a 12 step concept. And so I was starting to kind of walk through my own healing and and then bring my wife into it a little bit and, and just say, you know, I, I really need healing in this and I really need to move forward in this. And, uh, and, and starting the church and finding some purpose in that was really wonderful. And then uh, I was starting to share some of the stuff with, with the pastor of the church about what had happened to me. And um, 
he he started saying, you know, there's some people at the church who've been kind of silently, secretly confessing to me that they're struggling with pornography. And uh, and he goes, I, I you know, I don't know ultimately how to how to deal with that, but because you've had this lifelong experience, maybe you could talk to them. And so I set up a couple meetings with these guys who were struggling and uh, just shared my story with them, uh, shared some hope with them that it is something that you can let go of, can leave behind. And then uh, I realized that at that moment in time, probably around 2012, uh, a little bit later, maybe around 2013, after I finally got to a place where I felt like I had uh, found some real recovery in my life, um, I began to think maybe maybe this is going to be something that that I really can do, that I can really devote my life to. And then I started to get trained as a Christian counselor. I got my degree in Christian counseling and then uh, went to ITAP, which was the, you know, the um, International Institute of Trauma and Addiction Professionals, which is kind of the big uh, certification organization that allows you to, to have a certification as a sex therapist or a sex professional, uh, sex addiction professional. Uh, is one of their other categories for pastors and spiritual leaders, which is the route that I actually went. And um, and so I started to get all that, and, and my eyes were so open, Carol. Like, I had no idea. I mean, I knew that men struggle with this, and, and you know, sometimes when you're in the midst of it, you feel like you're the only one sometimes. But But I knew people struggle with it. But, Carol, when I started getting trained in this, I absolutely had no idea of the global – pandemic of pornographic, you know, the, the pornographic industry, uh, the pornography addiction that had just taken our world and caused them to be so captive to this. And um, it was then that I realized, it's probably around 2013, just about five or six years ago, that I, I totally recognized this is huge. This is bigger than I ever could have even imagined that it could be. And so I began to, to kind of work out some ideas in my head about how I might be able to reach people and tell my story and share with them the hope. And now that I had some training, had some tools in the tool belt that I could use um, to really help people, even from a clinical basis, um, as well as spiritual basis, I began to formulate the silent addiction. And it was really funny because I'm driving down the road and I've heard that before. I've heard it used in various con- you know, contexts but I was driving around going the silent addiction. That's what this is. I mean, this is an addiction that is so silent and, and so secretive. And so I immediately called my wife and I said, you know, go online and, and see if the silentaddiction.com is available. Cause I just have to buy it. And I said, there's no way. I mean, that thing's going to be like totally taken up by something and it was available. Uh-huh. And so, yeah, it was awesome. You know, I was like, I love this. So, um, so I went and I, and I started, back about five years ago, thesilentaddiction.com, and, um, and began to put up there a bunch of resources, but also a way to contact me, also a way to share their stories confidentially with me, and, uh, and you know, set up a time that, that we could meet and talk. And so it's kind of grown into me having my own practice right now, um, you know, with people coming to me and, and specifically dealing with, with this particular behavior of sex addiction. Well, and you and I are both ITAP certified, and um, they advocate that we never put um, everybody in the same pigeonhole. And they say, right. be porn neutral, but, you know, if somebody's got a problem with it, then, you know, 
be able to address it clinically. And mm-hmm. i got to tell you, I've, I've said this all for, I tried to do that. And when I first got into this business, I thought, yeah, I think, you know, there are plenty of couples or plenty of people that can use porn and it's not addictive. And I still do. But I right. just feel like the objectification of whoever is in, in the pornography, because it could be mostly it's women, but there's men too. And, and I just... I feel like it's a very unhealthy recreational sport, and I just can't endorse it, even if somebody doesn't have compulsivity. So how do you reckon with that? Well, um, you know, I've I've also been a part of another group um, out of Washington, D.C., which you may have heard of, the National Coalition on Sexual Exploitation. And, um, uh-huh. you know, that was that was really another open door that kind of opened my eyes to, you know, just the, you know, I keep calling it the global pandemic of, of porn addiction, porn use. But one of the ways that I reckon with it is because I've been associated with them, I've gotten to meet a lot of people who have been on the other side of the camera and uh, people who have come out of the porn industry or out of the sex industry. And I've gotten to meet them personally and talk with them and, you know, uh, you know, just personally, not necessarily interview them, uh, you know, corporately or anything like that, but just, just got to talk with them, ask them a bunch of questions about what it's like to be on that side of the camera. What's your life like on that side of the camera? And it is just so much brokenness, Carol. You know, everybody on, oh, know. on this side of the, everybody on this side of the camera is just like saying, you know, well, they're just consenting adults, you know, and there shouldn't be an issue. If I need it, I need it, you know, or if I want it, I want it. You know, why are you trying to rob me of any kind of sexual arousal or sexual pleasure, you know, that I can get from this? But I, I remind people who tell me that or or even have questions about that, I remind them just about the brokenness that's on the other side of the camera, how you have a lot of these people who are uh, living, you know, dissociative lives, you know, they are – there, a lot of these women are coming from broken homes. A lot of these women are coming from homes where they were sexually abused by um, a family member, you know, one way or the other. It could be an uncle, it could be a brother, it could be a father. Um, you know, their whole identity is wrapped up in just sexuality and nothing else. And then as they grow up, you know, they become disenfranchised in some way, shape, or form from their family or for any kind of people group they might have been part of in high school or whatever. And they end up and they end up literally stumbling into, you know, kind of a sexual exploitation system, a, a sex trafficking kind of system. So you have these uh, these poor, disenfranchised girls who are, are living in a broken place, and all they are wanting is connection. All they are wanting is love. They can't find it. They can't get it. And, and, and that's, you know, the Reader's Digest version or I guess today you could call it the Twitter version, but that's, you know, that's the 140 word, 280 word, uh, you know, concept tip of the iceberg that's going on inside the hearts of these young girls and even young men. And they're ending up being trafficked into prostitution. They're ended up trafficked into uh, strip clubs and dancing. And they're also trafficked into being part of um, pornographic videos. And so you have just this immense brokenness and then you have the, the drugs that come into play and then, you know, when these girls don't want to do something anymore, these producers are saying, well, you don't get any more drugs. You don't get any more money. I'm going to blacklist you. You're not going to be able to work in this town anymore. And they force them. They give them this indentured servitude 
and, and they make them have to do what they want to do. And then they feel like they don't have any place they can go. They're losing their validation in life. They're losing their value or their self-worth. They feel like they can't do anything. And just about a little over a year ago, Carol, at the end of 2017, we had a rash of, of these female pornographic video stars who were, were killing themselves. They were, they were taking their life because they just had nothing to live for. These beautiful, beautiful women who are, 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 could have been destined for something so powerful and so great in their life. And, and just because, you know, they had all of this brokenness and all of this baggage and all this trauma, uh, they ended up crossing with the wrong people and ended up losing their lives. And, and so when I, when I talk to people who say, I want to bring it in the bedroom, well, my first thought, is and I don't mean to be cynical, but my first thought is when the guy is telling the the wife or the girlfriend, you know, why don't we watch a little porn so we can kind of get sexed up and going? Sometimes I think he might have porn-induced erectile dysfunction, that he that he can't fully fully give himself to a person because he's fired and wired his brain so much on pixels and pornography, and so that's the first thought that I have um, because because the wives I usually find at least on on my end of the deal is that I find the wives are so very, very reluctant to do that because they end up having to pair themselves with these, you know, these buxom women who are, you know, they're never going to be able to look like that in a million years. And they're, you know, they don't want to, uh, they don't want to end up comparing themselves like that. And they don't want to end up being uh, on the uh, exploited end of even in their uh, marriage relationships. They don't want this objectification to come in into the relationship. They want something pure. You know, they want something that's devoted to each other. They want something built out of intimacy and vulnerability. So that's kind of the scope um, of what I think about when I start talking to, to people who think it's okay or, or ask me if it's okay to indulge in porn every once in a while. Well, and I, I appreciate your point of view because you and I think so much alike, and, and there is no doubt about it that we are – um, this is an epidemic, and we are at the forefront of trying to help people as well as stop this exploita- exploitation. So let me just ask you a couple of questions about your project as well sure. as about you, because you, you're moving, right, to the Orlando area, Sanford, Florida? Yes, I'm going to be moving down to Sanford. Um, initially, uh, the reason is um, my family's down there and my, my father uh, who is the ripe old age of 88 <laughs> is uh, is going to be yeah isn't that awesome? Um, yeah, unfortunately, awesome. I lost my mother. I fought, I lost my mother last year, but um, but my dad is is doing well, and he is uh, going to be moving in with my sister. There's my sister's building a house. We need to rent on my dad's house uh, to get that on the market and sell it. So there's this this whole family side of the deal, but that doesn't necessarily make me want to move to Florida, but the, I've made a lot of friends through the years going down to Florida within kind of the sex trafficking uh, industry, not, not the, the anti-sex trafficking industry, I should say. And, um, and, and some of the churches down there who are really closely related with each other. And, uh, and so just over the past year, I've been kind of feeling out maybe, maybe it's good for me to go down and, and be close to family at this time, but but also because Florida is such a huge player in the sex industry and huge in sex trafficking, um, you know maybe there's a way that um, you know I can kind of bring that porn use and that porn addiction side 
um, into this because, you know, porn addiction all the way up to sex trafficking is all cut from the same cloth. Um, and so I began to talk with a, a group uh, or two down in the um, Orlando area and, and, and even in the Sanford area and uh, begin to ask them, you know, do you think there's some open doors in this area for us to help kind of um, complete this picture where it is not just sex trafficking, which is amazing and wonderful that they are fighting that and going out and getting the, the victims of this and trying to help them recover and heal. Um, but if we don't stop this whole porn use that's turning into addictive uh, behavior with people and is hypersexualizing them and allowing them to cross these uh, flesh lines to go and partake of prostitution, um, you know, right there is your, your little crossroads of porn addiction and, and sex trafficking. And so um, I think there needs to be a whole picture presented to the public that porn and sex trafficking are, are interrelated with each other. And even sex trafficking and the prostitution and all that kind of stuff is actually becoming uh, the new pornography, you know, because they're actually uh, not just putting them into these fantasy films anymore. They're actually filming some of the activity that's going on in sex trafficking and putting it up on the dark web and people are accessing that for their own pleasure. And some of these videos are so violent, it's unbelievable. And they're happening with teens and, and, and young adult women and even uh, teen boys and, and young adult men. And so I began to think like, maybe this is just more than going down and being with family. Maybe this is the, an opportunity to link with uh, a really, really heavy duty involvement in the sex trafficking world and bring this whole porn addiction element into it. And so it just seems like there's some really cool open doors down there right now. So I will be stationed. I'm actually going to be leaving this coming Sunday and, and moving down to the Orlando area. Okay. And so tell me what, what can the listening audience expect when you get down there? What do you hope to do? Well, I hope to, um, you know, be able to kind of set up shop and, and, and help people down there who are dealing with um, sex addiction. Some of the people that I mentioned that I had talked to and connected with down there have, have mentioned that there definitely is, uh, you know, a, a pretty soaring problem down there of people who are, are watching pornography and struggling and, and have compulsory behavior because of it. Um, and so I'd like to, to set up shop and, and be able to, to help those people uh, and draw them out and, and bring them into a place of recovery. Um, one of my biggest things is because mine is my organization is very much uh, in the faith-based and in the Christian faith-based community, um, and I've grown up in uh, you know church my whole life. Uh, my 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 dad actually was a, a church planter, a church starter, uh, my whole life, and so I've I've come to really understand the whole lingo that goes on within the church culture. But because pornography is so, so heavy within the church culture, um, and there's so much shame and so much guilt involved with that, even with leadership, which is really where my heart is. If you, if you want to get down to brass tacks, my heart is to really deal with kind of pastors and other pastoral leaders in churches who are struggling with this as well. Because I know, just like me, um, you know, my, my pornographic use and, and porn addiction predated, you know, any activity that I had in ministry in my life. It had already started grooming me at a very young age, and it's the same way with a lot of these pastors. And pastors are such a lonely group because they don't have anywhere to go. They feel if, if the news gets out, you know, it's going to wreck their church. 
You know, people are going to leave. They're going to be left with nothing. And these people who have gone to, to college and to seminary their whole life that don't necessarily have a boatload of other skills except they're really great preachers, um, they lose everything, and then they really have nothing to go on. And so what I want to do is, is go down there and help reach people who are struggling with this. But my heart, my, my heart is my, the priority of my life is to reach into the church culture and especially church leaders who are struggling with this and give them a safe place where they don't find any judgment and where they can find over time being connected and in relationship with me and within my, my organization to really find the freedom that they need so they don't feel like they're getting up every Sunday and being a hypocrite um, because they are such gifted people and they, they love people so much, but they have this other side of their life they're walking the fence on. And, and so that's one of that's you know, finding the people in general, awesome, great, powerful. But my priority is to be able to link with, with pastors and other leaders that are struggling with us. And then, and then also to, to be part of that whole awareness side, like I just mentioned earlier, is to get in with some of these groups down there that are fighting the sex trafficking and, and be able to, to basically give them another part of this and saying, if we don't stop porn or nip it in the bud at, at where they're finding pornography at being such young kids, all we are is going to, all we are going to, to find is we're, we're just going to have another generation of, uh, of people who are going to be placing a demand on the sex trafficking industry. And, you know, these kids who are 11 years old today in the next 10 years, they could be so hypersexualized that they're crossing, crossing the flesh barrier going out and using prostitution and, and all of that kind of stuff. So if we don't nip it in the bud now where porn is, then, then we're just going to be creating more and more demand for the sex industry. So those are the two areas that I would really like to be involved with when I'm down in that area. Well, that is incredible, and we need more people at the grassroots. And it seems like you approach this issue from about every direction, and that's what we need to do. <laughs> So then well, I, just share with our listening audience, how can people get a hold of you if they sure. want to either help you uh, get this thing going or they want to be a part of perhaps the support groups or some of the other things you have planned for 2019? Yeah, um, definitely. Well, the, you know, the easiest way, obviously, is to, to go to the website, which is www.thesilentaddict.com. And I've got uh, a couple of different ways that you can contact me on there. Um, you can email me. My email is just very simple. It's Reese Crane, R-E-E-S-E Crane, C-R-A-N-E. It's all one word. Reese Crane at gmail.com. Um, and if you are listening, you know, somewhere in the uh, mid-state of, of or, you know, the like Orlando, the central Florida area, uh, I'm going to be coming down there and, and, you know, hoping to meet a lot of people down there. And so I would love to get a hold of you. Um, all of my information, phone number, all that kind of stuff is, is on the website, thesilentaddiction.com. You know, you mentioned some of the things that we want to do in 2019. I think one of the biggest things we'd like to incorporate that's new uh, is, is a betrayal. What's uh, uh, um, a spousal betrayal? group or a partner betrayal group of people who have discovered or there has been disclosure um, that there has been porn use or there may have been even prostitution use that has come into the relationship. Uh, you know, a, a lot of times you're going to see women who are the betrayed spouses. And so we really, really want to make sure that we are not forgetting them. There are a lot of great groups around the country 
um, that do that, but we want to make sure that we're offering that down in the Orlando area as well. So anybody that has been betrayed uh, as a result of their, their husband or even their wife's porn use or affair partners or prostitution or anything like that, we just want to make sure that you're, you're not left out in the cold either, um, that we love you, that we, we honor you, and we understand the pain that you're feeling, and we want to walk through this traumatic experience with you and help you heal. Yeah, well, you know, it's so um, apparent that there is no judgment from your place. Of, and, I mean, you even work with a lot of pastors that struggle with this issue. And, you know, we put pastors up on a pedestal, and we it's hard to believe that they could fall down this road. And, and so as we begin to end for today, can you share mm-hmm. some strength, hope, and recovery that you have for the people that you've worked with? Certainly. Um, it's, it's been a really wonderful, eye-opening learning experience, um, you know, trying to reach out and, and help these people. You know, you can be in that environment as uh, someone who's addicted to this and, and then come out and recognize that, you know, your story, although it's full of hope because you are free, uh, isn't everything that the other person on the receiving end needs. I mean, they need um, some real insight. They need some real tools to hold on to, to be able to um, work out their recovery, uh, you know, as they go through life. And also know that it takes time. Uh, it's not going to happen overnight. You know, Rome wasn't built in a day. You were being groomed uh, long before you were in ministry as a pastor or a church leader or just being groomed in, in general uh, as somebody who's ne- not necessarily in ministry, but, but that's what was happening to you. Uh, when you were a young child and you found that Playboy or you found that DVD or whatever. But I'm, I'm here to tell you that with the right tools in, in your tool belt, you are going to be able to make a full recovery. You are going to be able to walk away from this because you're going to learn what it means to value yourself. You're going to understand what it means that you've kind of reached a place in your life where you've allowed this entitlement mentality to come into your life. And you need to realize that that is hurting the people around you. And, and you need to realize that you've objectified people and you've placed demand upon people. But when you realize that and when you're actually awakened to the fact that this is what's going on behind the scenes that you're really not having any control over, that you can once again take control of your life, you can get it back into your hands and allow your heart to heal because most of the people who are finding this and it's become so compulsory for their life, um, they have gotten to a place. I mean, they, they actually started out in life with probably some trauma, some baggage, whatever. There's probably a lot of brokenness in their past. And, and, and talking from a faith-based perspective, I believe personally that God wants to heal that. But you need to get to a place where you're able to surrender it. And even if you may not believe in God or whatever, the, the bottom line is you still need to get to a place where you surrender that and you let it go. And, and, and I can, I can help you do that. And there's lots of people all around the world. Carol can help you do this. There's just wonderful amount of people out there who are coming to the realization of what this truly means to be addicted to pornography and, and are able to speak that life into you and draw you out of yourself and draw you out of that brokenness. It can happen because it happened to me. And I'm seeing these pastors that I'm talking with trying, finding new validation in their life and in their purpose and coming to realize just 
what actually happened to them as they were groomed day in and day out to, to find themselves needing pornography more and more and more. So I just want to give people that sense of hope that, look, man, if I Reese Crane, and trust me on this, if I can walk out of this and, and find freedom, then you can too. I can guarantee it. It's going to take right. a lot of work. It's going to, it's going to take a lot of effort. I but. love that, Reese. I absolutely know that people who hear that passion can feel that they can find a way out. Hey, listen, we have to yeah. end, but I'm talking with Reese yeah. Crane, and I just wish you the best in Florida. I know you're going to make things happen, and keep us on our oh, other I, I can't wait. And thanks so much. Thank you, Carol. You take care. You too. You're listening to Carol the Coach, and this is Sex Help with Carol the Coach.